good to be with you this evening. Glad to be here tonight and everybody coming out and hope the study will be beneficial. This is a Acts chapter 8 and it's a turning point in the development of the Church of Christ. The first chapter was waiting, uh, the apostles were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, the Church of Christ was established and the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles at that time. But through the first seven chapters of Acts, it's all been taking place in Jerusalem. So now in chapter 8, the gospel is going to start being spread first to, to Judea and Samaria, and then also to Africa. So um, if you'll bear with me, uh, at the end of chapter 7, it seems like the first verse in, in chapter 8 goes right along with it. But they, uh, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. So um, Saul was there in present. He was holding the clothes where it's reported in this account. But... Um, it's something that he heard the impassioned plea that, that Stephen had given at the end of his discourse, going through all of Israel's history and coming up to the coming of the Messiah and the murder of Jesus Christ by crucifixion by the Jews. So whenever uh, Stephen got to this point, then he was considered by the Jews to be uttering blasphemy and the things he said about Christ being the fulfillment of all the promise that was going to be uh, of the Messiah. And so he heard this, but it didn't seem like it affected him in any way. But I wanted to look just briefly at Acts chapter 22, because years later, Paul recalls this event of Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 22, reading verses 14 through 21. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see the, that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? And it came to pass that when I, I was coming again to Jerusalem, and while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue then that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles." So this is just something I wanted to bring about, you know, our recognition that although he was consenting to his stoning, Paul, I think, was affected by that very event. But he went ahead and he was full steam ahead in persecuting the churches, we'll read in just a minute. 
but it's just something that, uh, you know, he still kept in his memory that he was there as a part of that act of killing a righteous man in Stephen uh, that he recalled many years later. So in the second part, second part of verse 1 of chapter 8, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which, is, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So up until this time, the church was just meeting in Jerusalem and it hadn't been spread from there. And so back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had given instructions to the apostles on how he wanted the spreading of the gospel to take place. And in starting in verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. So when Jesus was telling them, you need to stay in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then the church is going to be uh, founded, and then you're going to spread the gospel, he says, first unto Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria. And so we have that taking place in Acts chapter 8 tonight where the church is going to be spread. Uh, First, that the account is going to be given of into Samaria. And then Philip is going to take part in the second part of this study to go down into the, the very southwest corner of Judea to meet the Ethiopian eunuch and also to preaching to teach as he went from there, uh, evangelizing the towns along the Mediterranean coastline of the, the area of the, that part of Judea. So... Um, A great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and the members were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And this word scattered that's used here, Peter also used in the introduction to 1 Peter. In verse 1 he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This scattered meant the... Diaspora, or the spreading about of the gospel, dia mean throughout, and the spread and the spreading was the scattering of seed, like a farmer scattering seed to plant a crop, and so this was the taking place of the scattering of the gospel to be spread into other areas outside of Jerusalem now, by the gospel being spread by the people being scattered, so the persecution came upon them, this great persecution in verse one upon the church. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles were not affected by that. But in this case, um, it was something that was for the benefit of the church, for the gospel to be spread and the church to be planted elsewhere. So this is all part of God's plan. And we read in verse 2 that in devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made, great, he made havoc of the church, entering in every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they were scattered abroad, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So we read about this 
taking place right now that this scattering is to spread the gospel. And we read about that further in chapter 9 whenever he starts going into other areas like Damascus to continue the persecution that he was leading of the church, which he later realizes that how wrong he was, but he's in his zeal for the persecution of the Christian church, he's leading the way of this persecution both there and later on in, in Damascus. So um, we meet Philip in, in verse 5. He was one of the seven apostles, excuse me, one of the seven deacons in Acts chapter 6 that were chosen from the Grecian Jews. And he was um, one of these seven who was um, became one of the deacons. And he's the one that went to the city of Samaria in the region of Samaria and he was to preach Christ unto them. So I want to go over a little bit about Samaria. It was a small region between Judea and Galilee, and it was the southern border was only about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was the land basically that Moses had given to Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so in Acts chapter 17, when the kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Many of the Israelites were taken to foreign lands. And the Assyrians brought in many people from the east to bring them in to intermarry with the remaining Jews. And they brought their own foreign religions and cultures with them. And as a result of that, these people that intermarried became the Samaritans. The Samaritans still believed in the God of Israel, but they had, had adapted their worship practices to include many other things besides worship of the true and only God. But they only believed in the first five books of the uh, Old Testament. They didn't believe in the poetic or the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And that's one of the things I found interesting is that they only went by the Pentateuch but whenever Jesus came to them that we'll look at a minute in John chapter 4 when He came to Samaritans, they knew of the Messiah and that He was going to be coming. And even uh, many of them believed that Jesus was the, the Messiah here on earth. But one thing I wanted to point out is most Jews regarded Samaritans as ignorant, superstitious, and that they were outside of God's grace and mercy. And the shortest route that went from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north was to go through Samaria. But because there was so much distaste and dislike for the Samaritans, most Jews would go along the Jordan River and avoid going in um, into Samaria itself. We have two accounts in Luke, one in chapter 9, where Jesus went into a Samaritan village and he wasn't accepted and James and John wanted to bring down destruction upon this village for not accepting the Messiah. But um, Jesus told them, that's not what I came to do. I came to save people, not to destroy them. And then in uh, Luke chapter 17, Jesus was passing through the midst of Galilee and Samaria whenever He uh, took, a, took occasion to um, heal the ten lepers that were cleansed in that account. But what I wanted to look at is um, it only took three days if you traveled the direct route going from Galilee to Judea through Samaria, but the Jews often avoided that. 
But in uh, John chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me, we're going to read some of the, the most complete account of Jesus' interaction with any Samaritan was with this Samaritan woman at the well and then with the village people that, she, that he talked to after that. So in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how, knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. So he came to Sychar in Samaria and uh, had the occasion to visit the woman at the well. It says he must needs go through Samaria. And I think it was for this occasion to meet her and then to be with the townspeople that he was going to encounter uh, after this event. But uh, going on to verse um, 19 in John chapter 4, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So he revealed himself to this woman that he was the Christ that had been foretold about. And the Samaritans were aware of this. Then going on to verse 39 of chapter 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he could tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own work. And he said unto the woman, And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So Jesus' ministry didn't involve very much as far as we know the Samaritans, but these events are what I know that we do have a record of. And so um, all of this introduction is just so that we can better understand the situation that we find in verse 5 when Philip is going to Samaria to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. So reading verses 5 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out, of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So Philip was able to do this, to go and perform these miraculous 
uh, actions that he performed because of the fact that in Acts chapter 6, verse 6, it said that the apostles prayed for the seven deacons, which he was one of, and they laid their hands on him. So because of that laying on the apostles' hands, he was able to do these miraculous gifts of healing. But there was more because as Jesus said to the woman at the well, salvation is going to come from the Jews. And the Samaritans didn't know whether to believe that or not, but it did, in fact, come from the Jews uh, through the fulfillment of all prophecy by Jesus. But when we uh, get to verse 9, then we come upon this character called Simon, who's sometimes called Simon Magnus or Simon the Great. And what I wanted to clear up here was one thing is as far as sorcery, it wasn't magical incantations and spells, but it was the performing of magic acts. And Evelyn and I years ago went to Lubbock to the Coliseum to see David Copperfield perform his magic show. And the thing I got out of that was how in the world he did, did he do that right before our eyes that he could make these tricks happen. And so anyway, this word that's rendered sorcery in the King James is from the Greek word magueo, which means magic, to practice magic. And we'll meet that word again, another word associated with it in verse 11, when that Magnus, Simon Magnus had uh, performed sorceries for a long time, that these sorceries were the practice of magic through magic acts. But there's another word called pharmakia that's rendered sorcery, and that's the use of drugs and incantations and spells in the performance of that sorcery. So this is the performing of magic acts. And it says, um, But there is a certain man called Simon who before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. And this word bewitched right here in the New King James is render astonished. But the word itself means to confuse or to amaze. So he didn't actually have them under a spell, but he astounded them by his very clever works of magic that he did. And so now he's come upon the situation with Philip coming in to his territory where he's made a good living and has been held in great high regard because uh, he was giving out that he himself was some great one. And it says in verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So he was held out until Philip's coming as somebody that was really outstanding in the performance of these sorceries that he did, but it didn't hold a candle to what Philip was doing when he came. And so in verse 11, and to him that had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So Simon, along with many other men and women of the Samaritans, was baptized after beholding these feats of uh, miracles that Philip had performed. And so it says that 
after seeing this, that he followed along after Philip, observing what he was doing. Um, in verse 14, this brings in uh, Peter and John. And this also serves to show, too, that Peter wasn't a special apostle in the church in Jerusalem, but that he was sent by the apostles. He and Peter and John were both sent by the apostles to Samaria after they heard that they had reserved, received the word of God. And it says in verse 15, "...who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus." Verse 17, then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So um, this point is to make that the salvation came to the Samaritans from the Jews. The apostles were the ones who had these powers of being able to do miraculous things and pass on this power to other people that they laid their hands on. And so um, it was time for them to come. And so we don't know Exactly, you know, if there was uh, speaking in tongues that occurred whenever Cornelius in chapter 10 uh, is confirmed that the word is spread to the Gentiles there. But in any regard, the apostles laid their hands on them and whenever in verse 18, Simon saw that what happened as a result of this laying on of the hands and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, that he was seeing that this was something that he could do to enhance his magic that he could perform. And he offered money to buy these gifts. And so um, this is something that he just wanted to keep on. He had been held in such high esteem, and now these people from the Jews were coming in, bringing this gospel message of Jesus of Nazareth, that he was the Messiah, the fulfillment of all prophecy. And so he was astounded by what he saw, but he wanted to offer money so that he could have this power too and have the same regard for himself as Peter and John and Philip were having in the eyes of the people. And so the thing is that Peter was able to see into the heart of this man and see how wicked and self-serving that he was because he only wanted to have this gift for the benefit of himself and not for the benefit of others. So, uh, in verse 19, saying, Give me also this power that on whomever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Peter could see through, just like Jesus could see into the hearts of men, he could see what was in the heart of this man and he condemned him for his wanting to have this power simply for to be self-serving. And so as a result of that, Peter uh, really comes down on him as he should have. And he says, Repent of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And so he doesn't ask, uh, Simon doesn't ask to be forgiven. He just asks 
Peter to pray for him that none of these things happened for him. And so uh, after this happened, um, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And so this is it as far as hearing from Simon the sorcerer that uh, what church history says is that this man became a heretic and an enemy of Christianity. And so he was baptized along with other Samaritans that were, but he wasn't converted because in his heart he never turned himself over to God. So that ends the portion of this scripture about Simon the sorcerer, but it also brings the point that Peter and John came from Jerusalem to bring salvation to other parts other than Jerusalem to bring into Judea and then now into Samaria, that the preaching of the word would come so that men everywhere could hear and be saved if they believe and are baptized into Christ and live the Christian life that we were asked to live uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament uh, after we were baptized into Christ. Obviously, Simon was not someone who did that. Starting in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So here he has been in Samaria. Philip's been preaching there. And he has this occasion to be preaching the gospel, converting people, baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. And then the uh, apostles, Peter and John, come and uh, bring the Holy Ghost onto these people to confirm that uh, salvation does come from the Jews. But now the, the angel of the Lord takes him from up in Samaria. He takes him down to the southwest corner of Judea And so he goes all the way down there. And the thing about it is, in the providence of God, the timing is such that whenever Philip gets down there to where the Ethiopian eunuch is, he has a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he's on on Isaiah chapter 53, which is the most complete prophecy about Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, and the fulfillment that Jesus gave to that prophecy. So starting in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the city that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So, and verse 28, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. So God's timing for this uh, event is miraculous in the fact that he came there at the time that he was actually reading Isaiah chapter 53. And we don't know if there's any miraculous transportation, but it seems there was whenever he was taken from the eunuch. But anyway, Philip has been called by the angel of the Lord to come and preach to this man who had gone to Jerusalem. He's a Jewish proselyte who observes the rules and regulations of the Jewish religion. And he had come all the way from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem and is going back to his home. And, and Gaza is kind of the last stopping off point in kind of the, before you really got into the, the desert area. 
And so this is where he was as he was about to return home. And Philip is uh, brought to the Ethiopian at this time. Starting in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept man? Some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I think there's two points from um, verse 30 and 31 that we can pull from this. And one is we're very familiar with 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 about studying to show ourselves approved. So the individual needs to diligently study to understand what God's Word says. But at the same time too, it also shows the need for teachers in the church to teach so that we can better understand what the Christ, what the Word of God is saying to us. And so at this time, um, the Ethiopian eunuch is studying this scripture, but he doesn't understand who he's reading about because he says to him, and first, how can I accept some man should guide me? And then he says, the place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. This is, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So this is reading from uh, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And he doesn't understand who he's reading about. And so in verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself, Isaiah, is he talking about himself? Or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that scripture and preached unto him Jesus Christ. Unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, Here, I'm sorry. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. This is something that's very important in the whole uh, book of Acts is, you know, when you read through it, there's so many baptisms that take place. But this is one that's really important because it's one that we're given that Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and came back out of it. It wasn't until 325 AD that the Emperor Constantine said it was okay, it was authorized by him to use sprinkling and pouring for baptism along with immersion in water. And I just wanted to relate what happened to me when I was 12 years old growing up in a denomination that I had taken a class for about three months with several of my classmates. And then on the Confirmation Sunday, we were um, brought before the congregation and we were offered the option of being sprinkled, poured, immersion, and if we did that, we could go to the Baptist church. And uh, the fourth option was we could accept our infant baptism, 
which I don't recall it, but I guess I was baptized when I was one. And so, um, by sprinkling. And so, this was um, the thing that most of us chose because we didn't want the humiliation of having water poured over our heads. So we said, we'll accept our infant baptism. And I was 12 years old. And when I started studying the Bible with Evelyn at 18, I didn't know any better than I did when I was 12. But it's something that she helped me with. Excuse me. And so uh, this is a, an event that changed a lot of history because this man was a powerful official in Africa. He was going back down through Egypt to Ethiopia. And church history said that he became one who spread the gospel in the country of Africa. So this is an important event about spreading the gospel. And... Um, I just wanted to point out, you know, that we have this very clear example of water baptism. We have the confession that the Ethiopian made that's part of God's plan of salvation. When Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, you may be baptized. And the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the same confession that we still use today. So this pretty much rounds out what happened during uh, this chapter 8, which a lot of things were happening. There was a lot of persecution taking place, but this was just uh, in order to spread the gospel. And sometimes we feel like we're persecuted, but we always have uh, Romans 8.28 that tells us that all things work for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Finally, in verse 40, oh, I wanted to just say that um, the same word that's used in, in verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So he was down in Gaza and he, he was brought up, and this word means to snatch or to catch away. And it's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 about... <clears throat> when we're going to meet Jesus in the air if he comes back while we're still alive here on earth. So he was caught away, but the eunuch was so happy to understand what he'd been reading, to understand that the gospel message had fulfilled all prophecy, that Jesus Christ was in fact the Son of God, and that he brought salvation to mankind through his life, death, and resurrection and his obedience to his Father that uh, carried forward the plan of God of salvation for all mankind. And then finally in verse 40, and Philip was found at Azotus, which is a few miles north of Gaza. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And that ends what we know about Philip as far as his ministry. But he was a very active person in the spreading of the gospel, both in Judea and Samaria and uh, in spreading the gospel to the country of Africa. So that's my study for the evening. I hope it's been beneficial. We never know uh, in our, the hearts of the people in the audience if there's anyone here who has never named the name of Jesus as their Savior and been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. 
we can make that possible for you tonight if you'll come and have a seat on the front row. Or if you have a spiritual need that we can help you with, that you need the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing number 906.